What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. And if you're not rocking a Mystery Ranch Fireline pack on your back this season, well, your back's probably going to hate you. So listen up. Go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out their full line of fire equipment. Oh, yeah, they got a ton of it. They've got everything. But not only fire equipment do they have, they have a ton of other load-bearing essentials. Everything from hunting, everything everything. I mean, let's just be honest here. If you need a pack, Mystery Ranch has a solution for you. So go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check it out. And while you're at it, check this out. Go over to the Mystery Ranch Backbone series and apply for this scholarship. The Mystery Ranch Backbone Scholarship is providing $1,000 scholarships to the men and women that go above and beyond during the off season. So if you want your opportunity to win, well, Go over to www.mysteryranch.com. And if you want to help support the cause or know somebody who's not in fire and would like to help fund these Backbone Series scholarships, well, check this out. They have made their two best-selling everyday carry packs uh, into a special line. Oh, yeah. The Urban Assault 21 and the three-way briefcase are built in a new theme. It's It's a new wildfire black theme and a portion of those proceeds are going to fund this whole endeavor so if you want to go check it out go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out the backbone series and uh, if you think you got a good story to submit well go over there and submit it there's only one way to win check them out the anchor point podcast is also going to be brought to you by our premier coffee sponsor and that is going to be none other than hot shop brewery it is kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause and a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the wildland firefighter foundation but in addition to kick-ass coffee for kick-ass causes well they make a ton of other awesome stuff like a full line of wildland firefighter themed apparel all of the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right and check this out they also support the anchor point podcast yours truly by slinging some of our merch so go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check out all that they have to offer once again that is www.hotshotbrewing.com the anchor point podcast would also like to give a quick little shout out to our buddy booze over at the ass movement oh yeah the anti-surface shitting movement and uh yeah it's that time of year where uh, we're going to be out in the uh, woods uh, a lot more and I don't know about you guys, but we need to bury the surface shitting problem once and for all. And good for you. You can get some poo burying propaganda over at www.thefirewild.com and go check out the ass movement while you're over there. They've got everything. They've got uh, if you got a problem pooper on your crew, well, you may might want to gift them a patch or a sticker or Maybe even a turd trowel, which I believe they still have, which is <laughs> hilarious. But yeah, uh, I, there's nothing more than I hate in the world than coming up to my favorite fly fishing spot or my favorite hiking trail or whatever out in nature and having a human turd gift wrapped in toilet paper. That shit needs to stop. It's disgusting. So if you want to help spread the word about burying your turds, go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement. And last but not least, the Anchor Point Podcast is going to be brought to you by the Smoky Generation, also known as the American Wildfire Experience. And if you guys don't know what that is yet, well, I highly, highly recommend you go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out. What it is, is a digital archive, a digital uh, storytelling platform 
of Wildland Fire dating all the way back to the 1940s. It's pretty damn epic. Uh, there's over a cl- there's a collection of over a hundred of these stories, and it's pretty damn cool. Uh, also, check this out. They have also done the Smoky Generation Grant, so the American Wildfire Experience Grants. It's epic. So if you are into telling the story of Wildland Fire, well, now's your opportunity to go put your name in the hat for one of these Smoky Generation grants. Opportunity to win 500 bucks for telling your story is up on the plate. So if you happen to be a photographer, a writer, a blogger, a videographer, anybody who's telling the story of Wildland Fire, well, go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check them out. Bethany, you have a kick-ass organization over there. Keep it up. and opinions of this podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Hope everybody's doing well, and I hope everybody's gearing up for what's becoming a busy fire season. What's going to become a busy fire season? Uh, apologies for the day uh, delays in episodes and content, but uh, the last three months of mine have been uh, rather hectic. Got a newborn, got a new job, got another new job. Uh, just dealing with the family life and everything like that. So apologies for the lack of content, but we're going to get back on our regular schedule here. I can promise you that. We got some big updates coming too, so keep tuned. Anyways, with that being said, today on the show, we're going to talk about mental health and we're going to talk about the importance of having a plan, uh, both preseason and postseason. We talk about the elephant in the room and uh, all the little topics that are associated with mental health. And check this out. We're going to introduce a little, I guess, a new culturally competent clinician to the network that I'm trying to develop here. And uh, she's going to be located here in Reno, Nevada. She's got her own private practice called Stack of Stones, and she specializes in first responders and uh, your community guardians, if you will. So dispatchers, uh, law enforcement, military, firefighters, wildland firefighters, you get the idea. So ladies and gentlemen, introducing my good friend, Shannon Mead. Welcome to the Anchor Point. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Today on the show, I've got my good friend, Shannon Mead. She is a licensed clinician here in Reno, Nevada. What's going on? Not much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It's fun to do this. Yeah. So tell me about yourself. Yeah. Like you said, I'm a licensed clinician. I'm technically a marriage and family therapist um, and born and bred, Reno, Nevada. Grew up here. Um, come from a first responder family. So I am not a wildland firefighter, but I get it. I understand. Um, been in the family for a long time. And yeah, you want, you want me to jump into bio? Yeah, I sure. What I do? Send it. Okay. Well, let's start. Well, I was a little girl in Verdi, Nevada. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's always so weird to talk about yourself. But. I know. It's super weird. Yeah. You're from Verdi? Yeah. 
Oh man, that distillery out there is so good. It is good. Oh my God, that mahogany whiskey, that mahogany bourbon that they make. It is, and I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but I kind of like, they had like a green apple, oh, which no. is so sad, oh. but I was like, oh, I like it. And then I was so ashamed, <laughs> but then it was booze. So it helped with the shame. Yeah. Oh, there we go. <laughs> See full, thir- full circle there. Full circle. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I digress. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I grew up in Verdi and, um, my dad was fire for 40 years. And so I think I saw the impact of the work on him. I didn't understand it. I mean, he, he loved his job, but I think now that I'm grown up and trained clinician, I'm like, oh, this work is hard, really hard. Um, kind of started making sense. Yeah. Just uh, understanding the experience more. And my sister, my little sister became, um, a paramedic when she was young too. So then I saw the work on her or the impact of the work on her kind of from a different perspective. Right. Cause if you don't mind me asking, who's your sister? Can you say that on the air or you want to tell me later? I'll tell you later. Okay. But you could, because probably- I think who it is, I think she was my instructor. She was literally my AEMT instructor and mm-hmm. she's one hell of a paramedic. She's freaking awesome. She is awesome. I did not clear it with her to say her name, so I'm not going oh, to, that's but all right. She knows who right. she is. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you just did the look that I get when people are like, Oh, because you look similar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you do. I just like started putting two to two together. Yeah. Anyways, she's yeah. awesome. So, and I saw, you know, she started with the work young. Yeah. And so I kind of saw the impact on her differently, but still I, I wasn't really picking it up. And then fast forward, my husband and I moved to Seattle, Washington because we wanted to go on an adventure and try something new. Lived up there for a long time. I graduated from UNR with an advertising degree, worked as first in marketing and then in consulting. Mm-hmm. Um, Love that work. So I haven't been a clinician for, I'm still technically an intern. So I'm still finishing my licensing hours here. Yeah, I'm fully qualified and capable, but I'm still finishing my hours. Um, because for a long time I was a consultant and I love that work. I did like analytics, um, work with big companies, go in, help them figure out how to serve their customers. Everything is good. Then we became licensed as foster parents. And I really had my first impact from compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm which at that point I had no idea what that was. There's no training on compassion fatigue for foster parents. Now there's a little bit more, but still. Still lacking. Majorly lacking. Yeah. And it's one of the, it's just, compassion fatigue is a drum I beat constantly because it's, um, I think it is a very unseen danger. And so um, I, I just got rocked that first year of being a foster parent and ended up needing to quit. I couldn't, you know, my job was pretty high stress, high travel. So I couldn't do that work and take care of my kids. And so I stopped working and just went into a pretty dark space Yeah. Um, and didn't get a lot of help. Like saw some therapists that were just not helpful. And in hindsight, it makes me super angry. Like I was drowning and you were, they were not helpful. Yeah. Um, so didn't work for a little bit and then was like, okay, am I going to go back to work? And I decided I wanted to pivot because I'd gotten a little, a little dissatisfied with my consulting work because I'd be sitting in these conference rooms of people dealing with their tech and their data needs, seeing that it was clearly people problems. Like you can, like I can feel it in a room. Like this person hates this person. These two are sleeping together. This person knows. And like, there's just all these dynamics. And if you can't address any of the people issues, it's really hard to solve the problems in the company. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to pivot. And I went back and got, um, a evidence-based coaching certificate. So um, my letters technically are ACC for a co- from a coaching standpoint. And I really loved that program. I really loved kind of diving into how to help people change essentially. 
And at that point, it was coming more from like a corporate standpoint. I was really interested in helping small business owners, stuff like that. Kind of like the Jocko Wilnick aspect of it Mm -hmm. a little bit. Yeah. A little bit of just like, okay, I I really like working with teams. Um, A little little education on what MFT means, right? Because clinicians have different degrees. Marriage and family therapy doesn't mean I only work with um, couples and families. I, I work with a lot of individuals. But it means I approach the work from a systems perspective. So I am always really interested in how systems work and how one thing impacts another. And if you tweak this thing over here, what does that do yeah. for this piece of the system? So kind of the cause and effect of what you're mm-hmm. pulling out and putting back in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know what, if we look at from a therapy perspective, it's like, you know, what habits did we bring into our adult life that are now making it really hard to deal with these stressors and making it really hard to communicate with our, our partner stuff like that. So that stuff just fascinates me. Yeah. So that's another thing I wanted to ask you too, is, um, that you mentioned that there's different caveats to therapy and becoming a counselor or a mm-hmm. clinician, that sort of thing. So like, what are the different caveats to that? Cause there's a lot out there and I have no idea what they are. So could you ex- like expand on that a little bit more? Yeah. Like the different license types and the different yeah. like education levels, stuff like that. Yeah, totally. So, um, there's some providers out there that are working off of more of a, a bachelor level and they're mm-hmm. generally doing, um, you know, maybe some work with substance, stuff like that. A licensed clinician is going to be a master's level or above. So I have a master's degree, um, in technically mine is couple and family therapy, but my license is marriage and family therapy. Gotcha. You know, complications. Um, you also have, so here in Nevada, I'm going to, if I mess this up, I'm really sorry. You're either an MFT or a CPC, which is a, um, certified CPC, certified professional counselor. Okay. Sorry. I might, I went to school in Washington. The letters in Washington are different. Plus, you know, I deal with a lot of different letters and a lot of different roles. So I'm always like, wait, who's, who's what? <laughs> Both, um, CPC and MFT do the same work. We're doing therapy. Gotcha. Just our training's just a little different. The MFT is a lot more systems. We're a lot more interested in like family history, CBC is also equally interested in that, but sometimes works more on just like the individual experience. I gotcha. That's an imperfect explanation, but no, um, well, I just know that there's a lot of different letters and little things out there that kind of, it's, it's all kind of relative to the same mm-hmm. scope, if you will. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here. Yeah. Well then, so at my level, some of the limitations are, I don't do anything with medication. Yeah. And so if you're doing medication or like, you know, testing for ADHD or something like that, then you're moving over to the psychiatrist, psychologist, um, more the doctorate level. Gotcha. So, okay. Which is fine. I don't want to do anything with meds, so I'm good to go. I don't blame you. That's <laughs> tricky. <laughs> yeah. But, well, that's another thing too with medication too. And I, I'm, I'm getting off in the weeds here, but yeah. once you start throwing medications on top of a unaddressed Mm-hmm. issue at the cause of it, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's certain people with you know, certain chemical imbalances that mm-hmm. contribute to these things, but if it's like a, like we were talking about this earlier off, off record and we we're talking about like, Oh yeah, you have this past trauma mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily need to be medicated or maybe it does, but you need to address that underlying issue first. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I don't blame you. Yeah. Meds are a tool and they're fantastic. Like I, I mean, I'm on an antidepressant after the last year just because it's been so drawn out it's it was a shit year it was a shit year in so many different ways and so I kind of hit a point where I'm like man I'm just gonna I'm gonna go talk to my doctor and so yeah break the stigma 
I'm on Lexapro. (laughs) And it's been great. It's like helped me kind of, I'm literally an expert in coping skills and stuff. And I got to the point where I like couldn't even get the energy to go take a walk and stuff. And I was like, okay, I need a little bump. And it's been, you know, it's been fantastic. Hey, if it works, it works. Yeah. It's really kind of helped. So that's yeah. another question too. That I always have for clinicians is who takes care of the clinicians though? Cause you see, especially in your scope of practice, you you're working with first responders. You're yeah. a culturally competent clinician. Yeah. See, yeah, we have another one. Yeah. Um, you work and you see like some of the worst and the best that humanity has to offer mm-hmm. and who takes care of that trauma. Cause there's so, <laughs> when you're experiencing all of this stuff and you're helping people guiding them through their traumas, who takes care of you? Because you absorb some of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Therapists should have therapists. If you're seeing a therapist who never sees a therapist, no, no run away. Um, so I have an awesome therapist that I see. And then I also have a coach that I see from more of like a business perspective, mm-hmm. but also we can't live in an echo chamber. We can't live in our own head all the time. The purpose of other professionals is just to help us, um, unpack the patterns, right? We were kind of talking before we started recording about, I like patterns yeah. and I can't solve my own patterns sometimes. So I need to go and I sit down like, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll know I'm off. I know something's bothering me. And that's what I'm like, okay, I'm off. Something's wrong here. I don't know what it is. And my therapist will start kind of poking through like, well, what about this? What about this? And she helps me pull the pieces out and then I'm more able to deal with what's going on. Yeah. And if I need that and I'm an expert at doing it, that means that it's something we just like, it's reasonable for everybody to need help. That sounded really pompous, but but it's true. Though. It, hopefully it made sense. Yeah. yeah it, everybody needs help. Yeah. Like if you don't need, if you feel like you need help, it's not because you suck at life. It's because you're a human and we need, we need help. Well, we're a social creature though. That's a thing. It's like yeah. we rely on each other mm-hmm. to, that's a foundation of society basically. So, yeah. I mean, we all got to lean on each other to make ourselves more successful in some way or another. Yeah, exactly. It's not arrogant at all. It's just human nature. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that I just fight against day in and day out is this idea that there is, it is weakness to go ask for help or it's weakness to rely on others. And it's not true. It's strength to rely on others. Oh, absolutely. But the stigma within all these different professions is just so deep and so strong especially the first responder that you had a certain term for it. You had the, yeah, I use the word guardians. guardians. One of the things that is really important to me is kind of pulling everyone together that shared humanity. So all the different roles from first responder to healthcare to social services. Um, we're talking a little bit about death care. Like I always want to make sure we're wrapping in the morticians. Like it's, this is hard work. Oh yeah. I think animal services, they see some shit, right? So they, I consider them to be a guardian um, professional. Yeah. And I'd use, I had to come up with a word cause helping professionals is kind of lame. Like congratulations, you're a helping professional. And so I started, using, I agree. That's kind of a lame term. <laughs> right. Like, so I started using guardian, like I needed a term yeah. and I'm like, they, you are the guardians of your community, right? You come in and you take care of people in their worst days. And no matter what the role is, right. They're different uniforms, different roles, the, the trauma and the compassion fatigue and the secondary trauma, all that stuff is similar and shared. And so that's what I'm all about helping with. Gotcha. And I know that you're uh, also plugged in pretty well with like the first responder community and uh, like Northern Nevada Peer Support Network mm-hmm. as well. So yeah. let's, let's talk about how you get hooked up with those guys. We just, how did I? Derek, you're going to have to remind me. <laughs> 
I don't know. Do you, okay. Do you feel like you have like a COVID memory lapse? I do. Yes. I feel like there's just this year that like we, you know, baseball season restarted. So then we're seeing all these parents we know, but I like, couldn't, I'm like, wait, which kid goes with which parents like pre COVID stuff. I just have like these memory lapses. So I literally, I think I just reached out. Like I knew Derek, we were talking before they the started the network mm-hmm. kind of about how, Oh, maybe, you know, I pinged him cause I did a pilot program right before COVID. So I did a pilot program with Remza, um, Trucking Meadows Fire and RPD um, to kind of figure out how to take better care of peer support, right? Because that idea of who helps the helpers. Yeah. I was, I really want to make sure we're taking good care of our peer support teams because they're taking a double burden. And so we ran this like training pilot, um, which went really well. And then COVID happened and everything yeah. fell apart. But. Yeah. Talk about a huge wrench in a gear. Holy yeah. shit, man. COVID sucked. <laughs> COVID was, and it was, you know, there was so much loss. And, that's part of why I want to kind of talk about grief and loss today is I think from a society level, we are in the middle of just a period of grief that we don't have words for. And it, it messed with us. Oh yeah. And then it's compounded by all the other shit that's happening besides the COVID, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. All the things that have happened over the past year, it seems like it's been five years condensed into one Yeah, with the amount of events that have happened. Yeah. And it like, literally, I feel like I have some memory loss and some like function, like, we did the baseball banquet earlier this week and nobody had masks on. And I was so like, Oh my gosh, this is wonderful. This is horrible. This is wonderful. Like, I don't even know how to feel about what to think about this. Like, I don't know what to do. And then you have to sneeze and you're like, Oh my gosh, I have to sneeze. What do I do? Right. Everybody in the room is going to turn around and look at you. (laughs) Everything has gotten so hard. It's just a sneeze, but everything is really different and hard. And it's, Speaking of COVID, do you think there's like some sort of like COVID shaming and COVID guilt like going on? I mean, this is kind of one of those controversial topics. I mean, I'm vaccinated. I had COVID. I still got a vaccine. I got my own decision. It's it's my own Mm -hmm. decision to make that. So I made that decision with my risk factors and my family risk factors that are taken into consideration with that decision to get it. But it seems like there was a lot of people like just using it as like some sort of social pinnacle of like, look at how, like this virtue signaling, mm-hmm. like, look at me, look at me, I'm doing the right thing. And mm-hmm. it seems like they went out of their way, those particular individuals to like shame other people for not getting a vaccination. Yeah. Wear a fucking mask during the height of the pandemic, but the vaccination, I can understand your choice of not wanting to get that. Now I'm not mm-hmm. advocating to not get the vaccine, right? but do your research if you will. I hate using that term, but yeah. Why shame somebody over that? You know, I, I almost feel like it's an, it's a continuation of our, I just feel like we've really lost our ability to have a good debate, Yeah, to have a good conversation about something. I'm confession. I'm getting way geekier as I get older. And so I've started reading like, uh, biographies. Like I just finished one. <laughs> Nerd. <on>. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so embarrassed. I also really like watching birds all of a sudden. I don't know. I turned 40 and things are getting weird. Hey man, I had a kid and I started to get like white pairs of new balances. And I don't know. I think like lawnmowers, the coolest things ever. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Light it, beer. It, light beer. Oh no. <laughs> Too far. Every once in a while, every once in a while, I like a good Coors or Coors Light okay. and I'll go like do yard work. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Hold save, on. I'm going to have to recover for a second. <laughs> See, there's that shaming thing again, (laughs) (laughs) but we've lost, like we just, so I, I've been reading these historical books about, so Churchill and I just started one about Lincoln and there was, there was joy in debate. There Mm -hmm. was joy in disagreement. And I feel like we've gotten to a place where it's just 
that joy is not there. Like my way or the highway kind of. Yeah. yeah. And it's, there's just a lot of distance and a lot of, I think there's a lot of fear. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the vaccination debate just feels like a continuation of that. It does Mm -hmm. in a sense. I blame social media. Well, it's easy to get stuck into uh, that, that echo chamber on social media too. Mm -hmm. Like Twitter, 240 characters is the worst fucking way to communicate an idea, especially with like nuance and complexity, such as getting a vaccination or Mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make any sense to communicate that way. It's just, it's a downward spiral. It only goes one way and that's downhill real fucking quick too. Yeah. And you get, you know, we were talking before about the the noisiest people get the most attention. Absolutely. Like the reasonable folks are living their lives. They're mowing their lawns with their Coors Lights. They're yeah. not on social media all night, just like raging. Just wanting, looking for an opportunity to like yeah. bitch or complain or mm-hmm. attack somebody. Yeah. It's an obnoxious man. Yeah. the And so the vaccine thing, and it's tricky, you know, like even figuring out for my office mate and I were trying to figure out because I share my office with another therapist. Yeah. Like what's, what's our rule? Like, where are we at with masks? What do we do? You know, and there's also compliance with the state on top of that too, which throws another layer of complexity on top of it. Right. And wanting, and you know, we're in an office building with different professionals. And so wanting to respect their wishes and it's nuanced and it's hard to know the right answer. And you have to be able to have a, a conversation and disagree. And I feel like we've lost some of that especially in the last year. Right? Oh yeah. So, Oh yeah. Well, everybody's locked in their houses, you know, mm-hmm. and just glued to social media. Mm-hmm. So it's, there's that downward spiral again. Yeah. And watching the news is not, you know, <sighs> so I'm not a fan. Yeah. So it's a, it's a tricky thing and trying to figure out how to like ask, you know, cause I'm vaccinated too. I'm pretty comfortable being in an office with someone, Yeah. but wanting to respect their comfort. But then as a therapist, not seeing people's faces is super weird. You can't read expressions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's great. Zoom was Zoom was wonderful because Zoom gives way more access, right? Yeah. Silver lining out of it. Telemedicine, telehealth. Oh, yeah. That's Huge. that's ki- that's killer. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us also figured out that we could do our jobs from our houses, right? Yeah, which comes with its own set of problems. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a whole that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> the Home- inescapable workload. Homeschooling. Yeah. Ugh. Um, yeah, I do not feel bad, or I do not feel good for the students that are out there, man, especially what they had to go through. Oh, it's just been, and the teachers have just been through oh, yeah. it. Yeah. Ringer, man. Yes. But yeah, it's, uh, one of those things where I'm, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in individual liberties mm-hmm. and, uh, if you're going to make the decision to put something into your body, that should be your, your choice, right? Right. My body, my choice. Mm-hmm. I can do that. I respect that. Yep. However, you need to take into account of the people around you, mm-hmm. your family, mm-hmm. all those at-risk populations as well, and make the best decision on the information that we've got, especially with something so new, but there's not a lot of yeah. information on. Yeah. I mean, it's, I hate to say it, but we are the, the test. Yeah. We're there's the no two ways, folks. We are. We yeah. are. I made that decision. That's mm-hmm. my decision. Yeah. You don't want to get it? Well, play dumb games. You win stupid prizes. and It may help. It may not. Yeah. And it's... And I think we're in this weird place where we had to be both isolated. So one of the things I think that was kind of nice that came out of COVID was there's some really great advertising for a while. I'm an, you know, I'm an advertising okay, yeah. geek. There was. But some <laughs> there was some really good stuff about like community and coming together. Yeah. But it was this weird, we had to be isolated and now we're trying to figure out how to come back together. We're trying to figure out how to be social again, how to gather. And that, it's hard. Like it's, I think, you know, going back to my decision to, to take some meds is like this stuff is just exhausting. There's, 
there's a real thing called de- uh, decision fatigue. Yeah. It's exhausting. You make so many choices in a day and now we're having to make choices about everything that used to be really simple. And it's just worn us down. That and the scheduling too. I mean, you knew you're going into work from eight to five mm-hmm. or whatever your schedule was. Yep. Unless you have a new wildland firefighter and you're gone for 14 days at a time for 16 hours a day. <laughs> and then you, a little different. you know you have some limits, but they're real wide limits. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the margin is there. Uh, definitely wider there. But uh, it's like you have this schedule and this um, this routine that you got into and have that all broken down and mm-hmm. just thrown out the wayside for a lot of the public. Mm-hmm. That's got to be hard. Oh, it structure is key. And I think, you know, that's one of the things I want to talk about today is this idea of how do you put structure back in when you return from the season, right? All of a yeah. sudden you had, wildland is really unstructured, but it's really structured, right? It's both at the same time. Yeah. It's like a paramilitary organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, but there's chaos, but there's structure. Like it's a very confusing place that is completely unlike your home life. Mm-hmm. And I like in her episode, um, Dr. O's said, you have to come back and get on a moving train. And I thought that was such a good way to put it. Oh, she's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And But you're jumping into a completely different structure. And like as humans, we need structure. Yeah. And so that transition is hard, just general wildland season. But for the entire world, all of our structure was completely fucked. It was just oh, yeah. gone. And that the strain of that is, is really real. Oh, yeah. That and the way that we had to handle all the little nuances and complexities within mm-hmm. dealing with COVID and responding to emergencies. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Holy shit, man. It's that's a nightmare scenario. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you deal with that? And then how do you get off of that family unit, which mm-hmm. is your crew? Yes. And then integrate back into your own family unit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hard. It's yeah. And we, you know, one of the things we talked about before that I want to talk about today is this idea of dialectics, which is both two things being true mm-hmm. and you're switching from one family to the other and you're excited but you're maybe not wanting to go back to the the boring off season life, right? Guilty. It's there's something fun about being out there. Call it what it is. Transitioning back, you're both happy to see your family, but then there's diapers and then, you know, it's it may be harder to interact with friends and family, and so you're you're balancing these two competing emotions and that's really it's real first of all. Like I just if you're out there, it's real. Yeah. It's called dialectics. And if you're struggling with that, it's cuz it's a that's a human response. Yeah. Well, and you saw the survey results and it's, it's obvious, mm-hmm. like even the comfortability being in a public setting, mm-hmm. it's like people are wildly uncomfortable. Yeah. It's yeah. It's well, let's just get into it. Yeah. Yeah. So dialectics. Dialectics. Okay. So dialectics is, so let me, let me back up a little bit. Here's my general stance to mental health. We've got to have a balance of two things. We have to both understand what we need, understand what's going on, which is harder than you think. Mm-hmm. Right. Going back to that idea of the therapist need therapists. We just need people to help us sometimes because it's a big foggy mess of life. Yeah. So you have to understand what's going on. You need to be able to assess the situation, which all guardians do. You know, this is your job is assessing the situation. Yeah. We're just not the academies don't teach us to assess ourselves. Right. And True. so we have to understand what's going on and then we have to know what to do about it. And so in everything I do, whether it's with a client or in a training, it's balancing these two pieces, understanding, assessing, and then knowing how to respond appropriately. Gotcha. So one of the reasons I like to make sure we define words and normalize that things are real is it helps us assess what's going on. So dialectics is real. So if you're headed home and you're just off and you don't know why, it may be that you've got these competing emotions about it and that's okay. Like that's not 
that's not weakness. It's not brokenness. It doesn't mean you hate your kids. You know, it's, it's just life. It's complicated. The word for it is dialectics. Sometimes mm. it helps to have a word because then you know it's real. There's yeah. your 50 cent word of the day. 50 cent word of the day. Dialectics. dialectics. You have to do it with your radio voice. And ladies and gentlemen, your 50 cent word of the day is dialectics. <laughs> Perfect. Excellent. So now I know that's an all too common thing, especially in our community um, from coming from my focal point, which is mm-hmm. wildland. Yep. Cause I don't know anything else. I don't know military. I don't know LEO. I mean, I could see it from the outside looking, you know, looking in, but yep. oftentimes when I was a, a, a younger man, when I was a younger firefighter, I'd, I'd fucking hate coming home. Mm-hmm. And then I, I get this weird like guilt mm-hmm. cause there's nothing I wanted to do more than just be out in the woods with my, my, my homies digging holes in the dirt basically. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's fun. It's you know? awesome. And then coming home and then having this like, weird sense of guilt that I'm not holding up to my family's expectations and like yeah. reconnecting with them, but also wanting to be back into uh, the field with, with yep. my fire family. Yep. What causes that? Is there like a, like a, a reason for that? Or is it just, has it even been studied? I think the cause is being a human being, right? Like being, like you said, digging holes in the forest is fun. Yeah. It's also Less complicated sometimes. Lighting shit on fire is a little bit more complicated, but it's a lot more fun. Yeah. Than the drudgery well, of like societal norms. Yeah. And coming back to like baby showers, right? Stuff it's exhausting. Where there's, there's just a lot. And I think we could probably say that there's maybe a personality type that's much more likely to go do wildland to start with. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. It's and then you're coming back and doing some of the minutia of life. That's just not it's not enjoyable. Yeah. But then that guilt and shame piece is huge because then you feel like there's something wrong with you because you don't want to come back and go to the baby shower. Mm -hmm. But I would say the cause is humanity. And the thing that makes it worse is we feel like we're broken because we feel that way. I never really felt broken because I understood that's my personal perspective is like, I understood why I enjoyed it so much. It was very fulfilling for Mm -hmm. a sense of purpose and you get to see the most wild sunsets and the most beautiful places than untouched by humanity. It's, yeah. it's a fucking cool job. Yeah. However, I felt more like an addict than anything else. I was always mm. constantly chasing that high. Mm-hmm. And that's, that was my thing. It's like, I realized it I was consciously aware of this, but I just want to chase that next IA or that next mm-hmm. falling assignment or that next helicopter ride up the top of the hill. Well, you are literally chasing a high. Okay. Right. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, it's stress hormones are fantastic. Right. It's a like the endorphins, and the adrenaline, all of it mixes together and it's exciting and it's fun. I, we work with this. I work with this with all kinds of different clients. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you're just doing regular local fire firework, it's the same thing. Like your body is activated. You're waiting for tones to go out. You don't know what's going to happen. It might just be the same medical call over and over and over, but it might be something on fire. Yeah. Let's, let's just be honest. Things on fire are kind of fun. A little bit. Right. No, they're super fun. I'm not, there's not even a little bit about it. <laughs> and there's, so there's a trend that's part of like, like let's keep working through the understanding piece. But part of the action is, is being aware of the fact that your body is not, I don't know if I want to use the word like detoxing, but you're kind of coming down a little bit. Yeah. And it, it's real. Oh yeah. Even in the off season. I mean, what do, what do wildland folks specifically do? They go and ski bum. They mm-hmm. chase that high on the hill. Yep. They go rafting or hunting yep. or like these totally a type, like high chasing 
mm-hmm. high risk scenarios. They'll go backpacking in the middle of fucking nowhere for <laughs> no cell phone. They won't even tell anybody that they're going. They just want to go do it because yeah. it's, it, it's fun. Yeah. It's you, closely related to their field of work too. Exactly. You're skirting danger a little bit. Yeah. And Skydiving. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge one. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's real. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's weird though. It's, and that's the thing too, is like, I, that's the whole point of this conversation that I'm having with you and that you're having with me is we kind of connected with this whole idea that this is absolutely normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. my biggest, like, I feel like I say it all week long, this is an appropriate response. Like you are responding as you should as a human being, but there's this stigma piece that just weighs us all down where we feel like I shouldn't, I shouldn't feel this way. And Mm. I, you know, I talked a little bit ago about that idea of confusion. I think that if we're feeling confused about what's going on, that just adds to this, like, what is wrong with me? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of why I'm like on this battle to name different things, give people words, right? 50 cent words. If they help you understand what's going on, it's a huge part of the battle. Well, a huge other part of the battle too is breaking that stigma. Like you've been saying constantly Mm -hmm. here is like, if you need help, seek it. Mm Mm-hmm. But also you got to seek somebody that speaks a language like yourself. That's the thing is for all of you who have gone out and tried a therapist and it was a bad fit. I'm primarily sorry because that it just sucks. I know how hard it is to reach out in a moment when you're just really struggling and to get shitty help. I'm sorry. And try again. And if, if it's not a good fit, that's okay. Therapists are kind of like dating, right? You got to kind of try different people out. We have different personalities and you need that culturally competent piece and then you need to find someone who's just a good fit with your personality. So if you tried once and hated it, please try again for yeah. me. Yeah. But it's also hard to find those culturally competent clinicians as well. Yeah. yeah. And that, so that's one of the things they've done at the peer support network that I love is they have a page of culturally competent clinicians. So go look, there's a list of people that have been vetted by different organizations. And so you know that they're going to be a bit more aware of the stresses of your work, a bit less likely to cry about the dead baby stories. Some of those key things that are just really important. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is like, um, finding those people or it, where were they going with this? I'm sorry. So the culture of the competent clinicians, right. It, mm-hmm. It's, they're not readily available. And even more so is that we do have these resources typically like every department, whether it's LEO, mm-hmm. municipal fire, state, shit, even private contractors in the federal government, they all have some sort of EAP program. Yeah. But the problem is with those is typically some are better than others, but typically they don't connect you with a culturally competent clinician. And nine times out of 10, at least from the responses that you saw in the mental health survey, Mm -hmm. it was like 80 something percent of the respondents said that EAP was a fucking joke. They rated their, their level of service as poor. Mm -hmm. And I just want to kind of like make it, a point to say like if EAP is not working for you, you also got to seek the means to do it on your own. Mm -hmm. It might come with some consequences, some financial consequences as well, but you got to take care of yourself and you got to, if you, if you're not fit for duty, right. How are you going to be able to do this job? Right. And fit for duty, both for the immediate needs of this fire season, but also what do you want it to look like when you're retired? What kind of grandparent do you want to be? Like you want to be able to engage with the world around you for the long haul. Yeah. And the work will wear you down. So yeah, Yeah. it's, I mean, it's hard. I, if I could do the work for free, I would, but until someone gives me a whole bunch of money, also an option, um, (laughs) you know, you, you have to invest in it. And my thought is you invest in gear, right? You invest in vehicles, you invest in like 
toys that you play with in the off season, invest in yourself and your mental health at the same level. Cause it's so important. Oh yeah. I should even Ben Strawn. He, uh, he was on the podcast. I don't know mm-hmm. if you got a chance to listen to that episode, but it was pretty heavy. It was pretty good. Yeah. But he said, if you're going to be waiting around for the government or EAP to fix your problems, you're gonna be waiting a long fucking time. I was like, yes, get after it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's something to be said about that. It's like, yeah, take the steps that are necessary to fix it. It may be something as simple as peer support mm-hmm. and just talking it out with a peer. Yep. Or it could be something that, you know, Hey, I want a one-on-one with a, a clinician like yourself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, and I think that's one of the things too, is you don't, you don't want to be relying on your agency for your life. This is your life, yeah. right? It's also your career too. It's your livelihood and your life. Yeah. And if we're waiting around for an organization to fix what we need as an individual, we may end up waiting a long time yeah. and they're trying like EAPs are a great attempt. It's just not working. Yeah. And so you are going to need to advocate for who you are for your, you know, your marriage or your family or whatever you want your life to look like. It's, it's on, it's on us individually. I pay for my therapy out of pocket. Yeah. And that's another thing too, is like insurance won't always cover this. Mm -hmm. So be prepared for that, but also understand and recognize the value that this brings back to your well being. Yep. That's a huge component of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It might cost, you know, a couple hundred bucks, Mm -hmm. but what's that going to, turn into exactly you know six eight twelve months down the road yep for years even yeah that's i mean there's the joke about like therapy is expensive but divorce is way more expensive right oh yeah and that's a problem that plagues our community and mm-hmm. that's military law law enforcement mm-hmm. f- municipal fire mm-hmm. federal wildland all wildland yeah. it's hard it's because the work is hard on marriage it just is like and the, you know, we talked a little bit about how much I dream of more integrated mental health work within like the academy or the school level. Some of it is like, how do you go home and tell your spouse about what happened? And we're not training on the words, right? We're not training on how do you do this? How do you go talk about dead babies without talking about dead babies? There's no, that's not trained on, Mm -hmm. but it's essential to having a healthy relationship. Yeah. It's, and that's the funny thing too, is because we, we are, experts when it comes to communication as far as our line mm-hmm. of work goes yep but when it comes to a peer-to-peer or like person to significant other kind of line of communication we fucking suck at it <laughs> i still it's, suck it's at it it's just different it's different it yeah. is yeah i it, well that's because you can't talk to your wife or your kid or whoever your significant other is is like <laughs> your rookie bitch on a on a hot shot crew you just can't do that <laughs> You can't talk to him like your superintendent either. Yep. I've had, I've asked that question quite a few times. So do you feel like you go home and use like your firehouse voice? And you see people go, oh, yeah, I think I might do that. I'm like, okay, it's probably not working. See the face I'm making right yeah. now. I still do it. I'm far removed from fire. I'm two years out of the game and I still yep. talk like some rotorhead bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> your wife asked you to go to the store and you're like, copy that that shit no shit that's what i say yeah got me that (laughs) and that i like concise communications Mm -hmm. so like get to the point (laughs) i don't need a list and why we need this stuff just tell me what we fucking need and i'll go get it which i'm getting better at you know yeah trying to i don't know get around that whole uh way of communication it takes a long time to break those habits though yeah well because you realize it's life and death right? Mm -hmm. When you're at work, it's life and death. So you train and you drill and you get good at that, but there's no like, how do I undo this? Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of which, I mean, how do we undo this? Yes. Okay. 
one, that's not a question I can answer for everybody. So mm-hmm. I would say that each person, a lot of the work I do is this idea of how do you individually know what you need? Because there's a transition point. There's like a, you know, for law enforcement, they're actually taking off a vest, right? Yeah. But for all these different roles, there's a, there's a take off of the role and the shit that happened, whether it's you're out on that fire or you just finished a shift at the hospital, whatever it is, we need to have a plan specifically for how to take it off and how to kind of reintegrate. And we need to be able to communicate that plan to the people around us. Right. So you need your individual plan and you need to be able to tell your wife, like it was a real bad day. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm going to do. And she needs to know what you're talking about. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make, it will make sense to me. Um, but it, I, I kind of asked you a loaded question there by giving mm-hmm. a generalized response for a very individual <laughs> like prescription, yeah. you know? Yeah. So but yeah, it's unpacking all those little traumas and all those little things that happen mm-hmm. while you're on the line and not having it bottled up inside you. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Cause once it, once that cork comes out of that bottle, it's, <laughs> it's a fucking nightmare. Yeah. I know I'm guilty of it. Well, and it, the scarier thing to me is almost the cork stays in for too long and then it gets gross. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it explodes and it's just like the toxic, the homebrew on the ceiling. Right. right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, let, okay. So let me, I do have some specific, not specific, but some general thoughts for how to kind of decompress after the season's over. Okay. But I want to name a couple more things first. Send it. Does that sound okay? Yeah. Okay. So the first thing I want to name is grief. Do it. Radio voice. Grief. Grief. <laughs> so <laughs> huge. And if like, as I listen through all your different episodes, there is a thread of grief through all of it. Oh yeah. And the thing about grief is it's super vague. Like we suck at handling it, especially as Americans. We just do not like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We suck at it culturally, you know, within the American culture. Then if you put on this first responder culture, like amplified grief is just not a thing. Yeah. So I want to name it because I think what I hear a lot, like even when you're talking about coming home and the cork explodes, I think a lot of times there's a ton of loss and grief that happened that we don't know what it is. And it shows up as anger. Mm-hmm. That's the only way we know how to express it. And so the metaphor I use for grief is, um, it's kind of like when you hit your funny bone. So you hit your funny bone. Nobody likes it. Nobody likes it. Right. You, there is a point of impact and it like the pain goes all the way up your arm. Mm -hmm. Grief is the emotion that comes from loss. So loss is the impact. Loss is when you hit your funny bone. Grief is kind of the pain that radiates up your arm. And it's not always clear. Like you don't always know what's happening, but it's there. The pain is there. It's having an impact. And so I think when we name the different types of grief, Then when you're coming home, you're coming down off the line, you're trying to reintegrate into family life. It gives you the ability to know where you're at, meet your needs, and then you can have a more reasonable conversation with the people around you. You have better tools to communicate. Yeah, totally. So I want to name a couple different types of loss because this is the thing is there's all these losses that you're experiencing out there that you may not be recognizing as loss. And so it's just contributing to like a stew of shit. Yeah. It's that toxic shit being held back by a cork. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> so the, the loss we we all understand is loss of life, right? Yeah. Someone dies. We feel that that grief is one, it's more unavoidable, but it's, we have a context for it, right? We have, we have funerals. We have, you bring casseroles. Like we have some things we do around loss of life. Yeah. 
but that loss of life can get more complex. So the one word I want to give is this idea of complex grief, right? If that loss of life is because of a suicide, then all of a sudden, not only are we sad, but we're angry. Maybe we feel guilty or shameful and that grief becomes more stew-like. The sludge gets thicker, right? Um, same thing if you, let's say you have a really difficult relationship with somebody in your life and they die. So not only are you maybe sad or guilty, you might be relieved. And that when the sludge gets darker, then we don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to understand it. And that's when we get more and more silent, more and more kind of isolated and locked down. But that complex grief is intense. It's real. Pretty. Does that make sense? No, it makes sense. It makes okay. perfect sense. That's that's one thing too I wanted to talk about is the the grief component, at least specific to wildland firefighters that are not all risk. Yeah. Because we don't deal with the dead babies. We don't deal no. with the v- MVAs. Yeah. We don't deal with, you know, picking up grandma, yeah, yeah, grandma and grandpa at three in the morning for a lift assist. We don't really do that. Yep. Well, I think the the grief that we have to deal with is our decision points mm-hmm. that didn't end up successful. Yes. And the snowball effects around that or like seeing your your peers or the public suffer. Like there's nothing worse than going through a nuked out mm-hmm. subdivision. That is fucking horrible. Yep. It sucks. And that, so another 50 cent word, you're getting so many words. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> is this idea of, so you've probably heard of vicarious trauma or secondary trauma. Yes. I really think we've got this vicarious grief, right? It's They're not your houses in this neighborhood. No. And but we did everything we could. You did everything, but you're absorbing it. We're, we're human beings, right? Yeah. When one person yawns, the other person yawns. It's called mirror neurons. It's a thing. And so when you're seeing devastation, that's a, I have a little list here of the stuff that's specific to wildland. Cause you're right. It's not the dead babies. It's not the car crashes. I mean, some of us are all risk. I mean, Cal Fire, I know they're some, the majority of them are all risk. So yeah. yeah. But I think it's easier to understand when you're all risk. So yeah. then when you're not, you're like, why am I so upset? You just drove through a burned out neighborhood. It sucked and you feel sad, but that might come out as anger. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot too. I mean, it's, I think that the, the complexities of wildland specific, if they're not all risk, I think it's a little bit, it, I mean, it's, it's different. It's still in the same realm mm-hmm. of all risk and LEO and military and all this other stuff. I mean, it's all, mm-hmm. all, it's all kind of interrelated, right? Totally. But with wildland, we don't experience that. So it's, it's just different. It's different. And I, yeah. do you think that different raises some of the like silence and shame because you're like, I shouldn't be this upset. To a degree, yes, but that's, I don't know. Then I, then outside looking in and I'm looking back at all this stuff that I personally experienced, like Mm -hmm. I was telling you about the time I, the, the helicopter crash or the time where I almost got fucking burnt over with one of my best friends. Um, those are like experiences in my life that I don't, it's, it's kind of like hard to unpack those, I guess you could say. And that is mm-hmm. like, where did the failure come from in this? It's like trying to analyze that situation of mm-hmm. why did this happen? And sometimes there's just no closure. Shit happens. Yeah. It's easy to say that now after I've kind of looked back and removed yep. myself from the fire situation. Yep. Those are the things that I think plague a lot of our community. Mm-hmm. Well, cause it's that fixer yeah. mentality, right? I, my job is to fix it and I couldn't. Yeah. And there's that in and of itself is a loss. So I have my little list of losses here and that's what, like, I couldn't fix it. I couldn't succeed. I couldn't save the house. 
right? Yeah. That that is a loss. That is an elbow hit that is legit and it leaves us just a little funky. And what happens is that they compile, right? Yeah. Snowballs, right? Yeah. They build over time. And then there's these other little losses, like the majority of anyone out fighting fire has an affinity for nature and you are watching it go up in smoke. Oh yeah. Right. And you then add in the complexity of opinions on policy and, you know, global warming. Like there's all these other pieces where the you, bullshit of bureaucracy. Yeah. And you know. you're, you're literally like seeing dead squirrels and that's, that's a loss. And so I think I want to name they're like, that's a loss. When you see a devastated piece of what used to be absolutely beautiful, there's loss in that. Yeah. And, and it leaves us sad. I think it does. I think a lot of people like shove it off and be like, yeah, part of the gig. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. There's a dead deer. There's mm -hmm. half this head of cattle is gone. You mm -hmm. know, got burnt over, got caught or this historical mon monument in the middle of oh, nowhere got yeah. burnt down. Mm -hmm. Part of the gig, gig, we did what we could, but you still, I think no matter how much of a hard ass you pretend to be about it, I mm -hmm. think you still take something away from that. Like you're saying. Yeah. It's, I feel like for, Anyone, if you, that thought goes through your mind, it's part of the job, catch that. Because I think that's the like little bandaid that we put on the, the hard shit mm -hmm. that minimizes the fact that it sucks. It is part of the gig, but that doesn't mean it doesn't suck, right? Going back to dialectics, like it's true. This is part of the job. This is what you signed up for. Yeah. And it sucks. And you can feel sad. Like yeah. those are both true. Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> embrace the suck is a kind of common uh, phrase that we use. Mm -hmm. And it's true. We just it's part of the gig. Yeah. It, it, it fucking sucks. It doesn't, mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily mean you can't be not sad about it. Exactly. Yeah. Embracing the suck doesn't mean enjoying the suck. Yeah. That's the different, like, yeah, you go home and you're, you're a little messed up and that's okay. That's yeah. Unpleasant, but real. So what other topics do you guys get for us? Um, okay. So let's, let's finish up on grief and then let's talk about what we do about it. Okay. Cause I, I don't want to be like, now you're sad. Have a nice day. <laughs> and that's the end off. of the show, ladies and gentlemen, do your sponsorship piece. Now everyone's <laughs> sad, right? But I do want to catch. So a couple other things you lose is you lose moments, right? Yes. If you're out on the line for 14 days, you're missing babies for steps. You're missing birthday parties. You're missing things. And that is a loss. And if you feel conflicted about that, it's real. Um, you're also potentially losing relationships. We talked about the fire family to, I want to say real family, but that's not a correct term, but, um, that's a loss. Yeah. And so naming, this is a loss. I'm going to feel funky. And then this showed up in your data, loss of purpose, right? Yes. That loss of focus, direction, purpose, a little bit of the loss of, um, status, right? So all the signs that say, thank you, firefighters, there's a bit of like, I hate this word. I'm going to say it. I'm sorry ahead of time, but like hero status, right? Which comes with mixed feelings. You don't want to be seen as a hero, but there's something nice about it. And then you come home and you're just like Joe Blow at the grocery store. Yeah. You know, it's like that scene from, uh, what is it? Uh, Hurt Locker mm -hmm. where he's going through the grocery store. And he's like trying to figure out how to pick out fucking cereal when every decision that he's made in the past 15 yep. months has been made for him. Yeah. Sometimes you feel like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's a real loss. It's a real transition. And if you're like lost in the produce aisle, cause you don't know how to pick a good cantaloupe. Okay. Fair enough. Like yeah. normal human functioning. It's yeah. And it, it, I mean, it makes sense too. I mean, it's like, Oh yeah. What are we gonna have today? Oh yeah. We're going to have, you know, this caterer's food or we're going to spike out on the hill for, mm -hmm. you know, 14 days and eat MREs. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. There's that grimace. Yummy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, 
yeah, it's, it's weird. I guess there's a loss of purpose there and it kind of, you, you don't have that serotonin bump because when you're out in the field and you're doing cool shit with a purpose to save acres or mm-hmm. restore habitat or shit, even doing like junicide where you're just killing swaths of juniper, which are invasive species, at least around here. We killed so many in our yard last summer and it felt so good. I fucking hate juniper oh. with fiery passion. Oh, and they just like rip you up. Oh yeah. They're not friendly. That and they fuck up your saw too. Cause like rocks and shit grow in them. But mm-hmm. anyways, it, 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 you have a purpose there, right? You're yep. doing something beneficial and you're yep. contributing to society and you're contributing to mother nature. Right. And mm-hmm. when you come off the season, all that's gone, you're going from 120 miles an hour to practically fucking reverse. Yes, exactly. And that's okay. Perfect transition into what the hell do we do about this? Mm-hmm. And part of it is there is a whiplash in that, that we have to kind of mitigate a little bit. And I think what we need to do is figure out a plan to not go from 120 to zero, but how do we bump down to like 40? Yeah. Right. And, and then again, go to school zone. Yeah. <laughs> then normal life. Yeah. Let's just, you know, we taught my son to drive recently. And so that like slow approach, slow braking. Were you white knuckled on the Jesus bar? You know, I made it through. <laughs> we, we did it. We did it. Everywhere. No, it was, he did great. But there, nice. there is a learning process of break, oh, yeah. breaking gently. Right. Oh, yeah. And so let's, let's break you gently into the off season. Um, so I have some categories to consider because I can't tell everybody what to do. Yeah. They, everyone's individual. This is the kind of thing though. If you don't know where to start, like call me or call a clinician. This is yeah. what we do. And we were talking a little bit about what is like, what happens in a therapy room? Shit like this. Yeah. You come in and you're like, it was a really hard season and we figure out the different things that were hard and then we decide what to do about it. Yeah. Like, and that's another thing too, is like we were talking about too, is, um, the purpose is not for you to fix per se my problems. Exactly. Yep. It's for you to give me the tools and identify the things mm-hmm. I need to fix so I can fix them my damn self. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. You just get the right size wrench. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just give, I mean, this, this, it's this idea of giving you words, right? Yeah. They're tools. And if I can help you identify, like I do a ton of work with clients. I'm like, okay, how do you know you're escalating? Or how do you know you're hypervigilant coming off of a shift? What are your signals? And then what do we do about that? super like problem solved. I mean, I was raised by a first responder. Like, so you've got it firsthand. You've seen it. I've seen it. And I'm I'm not in this to be like huggy and cryy like this, you know, there's no incense. There's no, would you say Tibetan bell, like Tibetan prayer bells. Yeah. Like (laughs) this is like, what is the problem? Let's figure it out and let's fix it. That's, that's my particular stance. If you're a clinician with Tibetan prayer bells, get after it. You do you. Yeah. Yeah. So run us through like a typical therapy session. Yeah. Like top to bottom. Okay. So it's a little different when it's the first one because mm-hmm. we're just getting to know each other. I always have to do paperwork, right? So you have to the come fun in. Part. Yeah, you have to come in and sign some paperwork. We talk about like limits of confidentiality, right? You tell me you're going to kill yourself. I'm going to go ahead and get us some help. Like yeah. There's just some limits. So we run through that and then we just kind of dive in and I let the client really drive where we go. It's not like a, you come in and I say, so where were you born? What happened when you were two? It's more like, what's going on? Like, what, what are you, what are you struggling with? Yeah. You're concise. You're to the point, mm-hmm. which yeah. is probably an effective communication tool to first responders, the, those community uh, guardians that you're talking about. Yeah. Like get to the fucking point. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not interested in, like I do, I ask a ton of questions because I am finding the patterns, right? Yeah. Oops. Now you're good. I'd pull I think it moves all over. Anymore, yeah. Right? So. Wait, I touched a wire. Sorry. <laughs> you're good. <laughs> um, so I ask a ton of questions and we do like, we will go back and talk about childhood and stuff like that. But essentially I'm, I'm assessing for what's the problem. 
and then we're finding the right wrenches. Yeah. Right. And that's a, that's a very unique thing. And usually, so I'm what's called a solution focused therapist. So I'm, I'm very first responder friendly, right? Cause I'm to the point. I'm not, I was at the dentist a few weeks ago and she's, she was like, turn your head to the left. I was very quick about it. She's like, were you in the military? I was like, no. I was raised by a firefighter. She's like, that was like precise. <laughs> snap. Like, just, don't break your neck. Damn. <laughs> there's just some things that you do. Right. Yeah. And so I'm solution focused, which means I'm not in this to talk about the same thing over and over week after week, unless that what needs, that's what needs to happen. Sometimes if we're talking about lots of deep therapy, lots of stuff that happened growing up, we can talk about that for weeks if it's what a client needs. But in general, let's figure out what's going on, give you some tools. And then I'm a big, big advocate for ongoing care. Like yeah. come in, you know, wildland's a little different, right? If you're talking about a municipal crew, I'd rather see someone like once a month, like come dump. Let's one of my clients called it dump the Legos. Like I go see Shannon. Just don't step on them. Yeah. don't step on them. <laughs> we dump the Legos, we put them in little piles and then I know what to do next. Yeah. So come dump the Legos every now and then, and then go on your way. It's kind of like, taking a cluttered desk it's like what i did before you came over because you should have seen this thing it was piled full of shit and mail and all this stuff but it's like taking a cluttered desk and going through it and like mm -hmm. saying, don't need that don't need that and this i need to pay this goddamn bill mm -hmm. right yeah yeah exactly and wait so you said every time this happened then you couldn't sleep that night like i that's my job is to be like wait you've said this a couple times now let's let's look at it a little closer and we just help build those build those connections. The exact same thing my therapist does for me. Gotcha. So how do we handle complex issues like PTSD? Like say, I mean, that's kind of another loaded question that I'm feeding <laughs> you, of course, because that's, there's multiple forms of PTSD. And then, yeah. So say someone with complex PTSD, mm -hmm. which is wildland prone, you mm -hmm. know, prone to wildland firefighters developing complex, which is multiple events. Mm -hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Multiple Go events over the time that have just escalated to a form of PTSD. It's not one pinpoint traumatic in in right. incident. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, how do we digest those things? I would say someone comes into you with complex PTSD and it's kind of obvious. Mm -hmm. What do we do there? That is a loaded question. I know. Um, okay. So let me say that my, my primary goal in my practice in my life is to prevent some of the complex PTSD. Like I dream of a world where we are, we are um, intervening or supporting far earlier. So it doesn't get that buildup effect, buildup effect. Gotcha. That being said, if we're 15 years in and we're talking about some really rough things and some small things. So the reason I call out some of these small losses is I think sometimes they are the rock in your shoe that is causing the biggest problem, but you don't know how to identify it. Mm -hmm. um, then you don't take the time to stop and take your boots off. <laughs> right? Dump that fucking rock out, right? That's good. Go to therapy. Take your boots off. Get the rocks out. Get back to work. That's good. I'm going to use that. Feel free. Yeah. <laughs> I'll kick you some cash for it. <laughs> um. So this is kind of hard to answer because it's so, there's so many different ways I could go with it. Yeah. And it's not a one size fits all solution either. Yeah. But part of it is just, first of all, um, I know in some episodes you've done this. I'm going to do it again in case anyone hasn't heard. I'm going to explain PTSD versus PTSI because I think that's a huge stigma piece. So 
as clinicians, we have to use this big book called the DSM. And that's how you kind of go through and you apply a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Within the DSM, it is called post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. That is what we have to use if we're diagnosing. I am a big advocate, though, for actually switching over to the word PTSI, post-traumatic stress injury, because it is an injury. This is not a disorder. This is not that there's something inherently wrong with you, and that's why you can't sleep. Yeah, it's not like you're bipolar and have a chemical imbalance. Exactly. Yeah, this is a fixable thing. Yeah, this is because you have endured, as a human being, you have endured traumas, and your body is telling you that you're not okay. Yeah. Right? It's coming out in all the different ways that PTSD shows up. So that's like, no matter what's going on, that's my biggest thing is let's take away this idea of disorder. Let's refer to it as an injury and let's kind of work on healing the injury. Yeah. So the reason why I asked that question is because how often do you see over like a course of a career that people develop PTSI mm. some sort of some way or another? Ooh. Cause I've always wanted to get some data on this. I mean, I don't know if it's like your, even if it's just a, a personal opinion and perspective that you've seen, mm-hmm. because I've, the more and more I look across the wildland community, at least the people that I interact with, mm-hmm. the more and more I see those telltale signs, the isolation, mm-hmm. the hypervigilance, the reluctance to talk about what they've done, the silent professionalism, if you will. Yep. I've seen all of these telltale signs of PTSI and I was wondering if you see the same thing. I'm not trying to say like, oh yeah, everybody has a PTSI. That's yeah. not what I'm trying to say here. But I mean, the commonality, it's, it, it, I, I notice it a lot mm-hmm. more and more and more. It's a natural outcome to the work, right? Yeah. Like if you are a football player, you will have more knee injuries. Mm-hmm. It just is. If you are an accountant, you will get more carpal tunnel Yeah, and you'll need classes sooner, right? Like doing this work and it being on the front lines to so many different types of trauma and loss, the natural outcome is the symptoms of PTSI. One of my big things is I really, we were talking about this a little bit before. I don't like diagnosing because that is saying that there's something wrong with you. If you're responding this way. And my opinion is no, you are responding in an appropriate fashion. If there's some of these things going on, right? The hypervigilance, the trouble sleeping, um, maybe feeling a little like jumpy or like you can't relax all these different things. That's a natural outcome. Yeah. I don't have numbers for you. I have looked for them. There's a research team at UNR looking for them. The numbers aren't out there in a really nice, concise way. Yeah. There is one study that shows if you're doing first responder work, you're probably about 10% more likely to have some sort of mental illness. But even that I just really struggle with because I feel like. Well, what does mental illness even say? That's the thing. That's mm-hmm. like, that's like slapping a label of like, hey, don't go near this guy because he's a responder, exactly. which is bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's total bullshit. Yeah. And it's why I get like, I'm a total, I'm a data geek, right? You showed me the data you collected and it, it's like my eyes light up. Yeah. But I, it's really hard to categorize some of this stuff. And my other thing is I don't like to be, I don't like to say that something like PTSI is a yes or a no. Do you mm-hmm. have it or not? I don't, it's a continuum, right? Yeah. We've all got struggles and symptoms, kind of like ADHD, right? Do you have to diagnose sometimes? Yeah, but you know what? Some of us are just a little bit harder to focus than others. And it's just the way we're built. Oh, yeah. I think categorizing gets tricky. It does. Speaking of ADHD, have you ever noticed that? I, I swear to God, I swear to God that most <laughs> majority of wildland firefighters out there have mm-hmm. some sort of ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> the work is very naturally fit for that yeah it is yeah 
but going back to the original point there is it's, it's there's nothing wrong with you and i think it's important that we keep having these these discussions and normalizing like the symptoms of ptsi mm-hmm. and normalizing that the fact that you're going to at some point witness trauma in mm-hmm. your career period yeah it if you don't you're doing it wrong yeah pretty much but how do we normalize that to a point to where we can front load people to mm-hmm. better have the tools and abilities to recognize it and then heal their injuries, their, their stress injuries mm-hmm. later down the road. This is the million dollar question because there is this, you know, can I say with the, can I talk about your data? Uh, a little bit. No hard numbers. <laughs> yeah. No hard numbers. Yeah. But this idea well, it's that all published on the internet, uh, everyone yeah. is willing to, if someone comes to talk to them about their problems, they're 100% in on that. Yeah. But if they need to go talk to someone else about their problems, they're like, no, 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 I'm good. And that is the biggest thing is this idea of, I have this conversation all the time where people are like, we, you know, whichever their role is, Mm -hmm. we as law enforcement need to take better care of our our mental health. And if I go, well, yeah, do you like, do you want to come in? How are you doing? They're like, no, 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 not me. Yeah. And like, we have to just continue to slowly break that down and switch into a strengths based view of mental health care. Sorry, I I misinterpreted what you were saying there. Yeah, we could talk about the numbers. Um, There is little over, there was over 2000 respondents to the mental health survey that I put out for 2019 uh, fall and 2020 spring. So it was just right about pre COVID Mm -hmm. did this survey and uh, had some interesting data points in there and what you saw. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's all published on the internet on my website. Uh, If you guys want to take a look at it, www.angerpointpodcast.com. And there's a tab on there uh, that says mental health survey results. So, and it's not a study. It's, no, it is not, not a study. study. It's just hard data results. Mm-hmm. And one of those interesting things that you were just talking about was a majority, overwhelmingly, the respondents to that survey said that they do not feel comfortable mm-hmm. talking to somebody else, even if it's a peer, coworker, or anybody else about their mental health issues or their problems or anything like that, versus the flip side of that is the people that are willing and receptive to someone coming to them to just talk shit out mm-hmm. about their mental health issues overwhelmingly said, yes, they were receptive and open and willing to do so. Mm-hmm. It was this inverse relationship and you saw it. It's, it's posted on there if you want to check it out. So it, yeah. And it's so distinct and it drives me freaking bonkers because it, it keeps people silent. So if you, here's the other thing. If you're like, nah, I'm fine. Right. Like I'm doing fine. I'm okay. Are you though? That's, I want you to take that as like, "Mm, perfect. Like I always say, if you're doing fine, that's the best time to go find a clinician. Yeah. Like you don't want to be in the middle of a horrific addiction, divorce shit show. And then you have to go sit and talk to a stranger. If you're doing fine, perfect. Go get to know somebody. Yeah. You guys build a relationship. And then when the really hard situation happens, you don't have to do that relationship building part. Oh, absolutely. That ounce of prevention, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to throw a fucking bandaid on an arterial wound. Mm-hmm. You just can't do you it. Can. Typically. Yeah. But if you have someone who knows you, so my established clients, if they call me in the middle of the night, that's a different call that I'm willing to take. Yeah. than Um, if I get an unknown number, like it's just a different relationship, but you have to establish it before the crisis point. And that's the thing too. It's, it's like I said, it's ounce of prevention. Like the more we front load these tools to in case something does happen to where you Mm -hmm. really need that tourniquet. Yep. 
if you front load this and you take the time to front load all of this stuff, mm-hmm. you're going to be more successful in your outcome and your treatment. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. It's and, just like with everything else, except there's something about it that's so shameful and embarrassing. We just don't want to do it. I think it's a point of pride and also kind of a point of contention because there's a lot to lose, especially if you're a mm-hmm. leader or somebody who's like responsible for lives. Mm-hmm. You show a moment of weakness and people are going to fucking destroy you. They're going to eat you alive and it sucks. Yeah. It sucks. Absolutely mm-hmm. sucks. It's completely backwards. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I don't know where this mentality came from, but it's slowly going away, but not as fast as I, or probably you would like to see it. Right. But how do we address the elephant in the room? Mm -hmm. And I think it's just as individuals, we each need to kind of step up and take care of ourselves. Right. Yeah. Like if you're listening and you're like, I'm probably should talk to someone you should. And the strong thing to do is just try it out. Like, okay. I mean, you jump out of helicopters and stuff like that. Just go talk to a stranger. Yeah. It's, it's awkward. I do everything I can. Like I've got, my office has snacks. Like I don't have a traditional waiting room cause those are awful. Oh, that's terrible. Right. Like yeah. I do everything possible to make it as comfortable as possible, but there is, there's an element of it's awkward and that's okay. It's awkward to go to the doctor and put on the little paper robe and you yeah. know, it's even not more awkward to get a physical at times. Mm-hmm. So, but it, it's valuable. And then the awkwardness goes away. Like I'm just a person, right? I have my own, like I'm a mess on in my own life too. So if you're going to. Everybody's gonna, in a, their own shit show. Exactly. Everybody is. So there's no illusion that like clinicians have all the magic answers. No, we don't. We're doing our, we're humans that are living life too. Yeah. And to normalize that too is like, yeah, humans have problems. It just, mm-hmm. you got baggage. Well, <laughs> congratulations. So everybody fucking else does. Everybody Welcome else to does. the party. Yeah. yeah. Welcome to the party, right? Be an adult about the situation. And that's another thing I want to point out about this discussion in this particular juncture in time that we're recording to. Mm-hmm. It is pre shit pre shit hits the fan season right now yes. right we got some activity down in the you know desert southwest region mm-hmm. three and stuff like that and we have some activity in california yep but before pl of five and you're scrambling for resources and you're fucking tired yep. go talk to somebody now mm-hmm. yep because front loading that is yep. going to be critical yep and so let's build so this is the other thing if you're not ready to talk to somebody okay part of what i'm trying to do is make it a little less hard to reach out. Cause it is, that is a big obstacle, right? You've got to oh, yeah. find a clinician. You've got to make the appointment. You've got to sign the papers. You get gotta, comfortable. Yeah. It's a, that's hard. So oh, there's yeah. some different stuff to do. So I'm going to, I'm going to run through really quick, like essentially a slowdown plan, right? So how do you go down to 40 miles an hour versus just coming straight to zero? So postseason. Postseason. Gotcha. But I want you to actually write it down, write it down, make a plan now. Here's your homework assignment, ladies and gentlemen. Get your pens and paper. Because if we write it down now, you're going to come home wrecked. You're exhausted. And you're going to thank yourself, your May self, your October, November, whenever, whenever it ends this year, self is going to thank your May self because you did the work and you wrote it down. Yeah. Okay. So let's run through a couple of these. Send it. Okay. So I'm going to give you some categories where you need to just take care of yourself. And we're going back to that idea of you go from 120 to zero. What you need to do is not let yourself just completely lay on the couch and check out, right? We've got to stay guilty of that. I used to sit around, drink beer and play video games and Mm -hmm. it was terrible. And it's, it's fine to a point. And the problem is if you, if that inertia happens and then you're just screwed. I think that was my problem too, is like, I just, oh yeah. What am I going to do this winter? Mm-hmm. find a job maybe mm-hmm. i'm gonna play a lot of video games yeah there yeah. i mean video games are fun 
they are. And when you're exhausted, they they help. But okay, so you got well, take- escapism is what it is. I think that's yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, so you have to take care of yourself biologically and hormonally. So we talked a little bit about that high of the stress hormones. Mm-hmm. It's a thing. And if you go from tons of stress hormones all the time to none, you're going to feel like that's a real thing. Well, it's like an adrenaline dump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Typically, you've had a hardcore adrenaline dump. You throw up. You might mm-hmm. you get all dizzy and start feeling weird. Yep. Start saying weird shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so you have to like recognize that that's a thing and then get off the couch and go for a run, which I know your body's also wrecked. So you, there's going to be this fine balance between not overextending yourself. But recognize that if your body's going from all to none, let's find a way to kind of slow down the hormones. And some there's some healthy stuff you can do, like go for a run, go for a hike, go skydiving. That's fine because mm-hmm. you're just bringing yourself down off of the train. Um, also, just on a biological level, you are a human being, so you have to drink some water. Like, yeah, drink the beers. Come home, drink the beers, have the burger. Just have some water, okay? <laughs> like. It's, it's not, we're looking for balance. I'm not going to tell you that you need to only eat kale and water. No, no. Have a beer and a burger and drink a glass of water. Your sleep's probably going to be jacked. Oh yeah. Super fucked. Mm-hmm. It, it, that's real and that's okay, but try to go to sleep. Like get there's, and there's organizations that do this entirely and they're awesome. So I'm not going to try to like go into it as much as they do, but there's this idea of sleep hygiene, right? So you actually develop a sleep schedule don't play video games till two in the morning stay off your fucking phone Mm -hmm. get away from the screens and recognize that your body's going to need to adjust and some of that's going to require a little bit of responsibility within reason yeah like i'm not i think the hardest thing about saying these things is everyone's like i don't want to i get it (laughs) but i wanna i know and i totally get it i don't want to i like to stay up late and drink whiskey too but it doesn't always help sometimes it helps yeah. Sometimes it is, but it also leads down a dark path to self-medication real mm-hmm. quick. And when you're coming off this train and your body's going through this shift in all your different hormones and everything, then it generally, that that fall down the hill goes much faster. Eesh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. What else do I have here? Well, I'm saying, eesh, like, because I've experienced it. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. real. It's real. Yeah. Um. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about sensory needs too. Because wildland is high sensory, right? So Very high. Super, like so many different ways. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> I just almost spilled LaCroix all over the place. Sorry. <laughs> Everything's okay, folks. Um, yeah, so much. Like, you're one, you're out in nature. It's beautiful, right? But you're also like, it's, it's hot, right? It's mm-hmm. fire. There's a lot of high sensory input. And that's another thing where you go from super high input and you go to your couch where there's pretty much... Video games is filling that need a little bit of some sensory input. Oh, yeah. Especially like playing Battlefield or something like that. Mm-hmm. Loud it's, gunshots, it's stuff like that. Giving you some of that back. So you want to instead try to find a way to get some of those inputs in a way that's healthier. And this, again, is going to be completely dependent on who you are and what you like. If you like to rage loud to Metallica, do that. Like make that a part of your schedule as you come back because you know that you're kind of helping your system figure out how to come from the super high sensory place into a more day-to-day sensory plays oh yeah a wildland fire is loud it's a loud mm-hmm. place you got aircraft you got chainsaws you got people yelling at each other you got the even something as simple as like not even cutting line just marching like in mm-hmm. a line up the line you guys are walking up the line and your crew stop and be aware of how fucking loud that is if mm-hmm. 20 people walking through the forest all your, all your shit jangling everywhere yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, it's a loud place. up on anybody. Yeah. Shit, even even in moments of quiet, relative quiet, mm-hmm. really be aware of how loud mm-hmm. the forest is or the desert is. Mm-hmm. You'll start noticing how loud it actually is. There's bugs. You can yeah. hear twigs and shit snapping, mm-hmm. birds. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty incredible place. Yeah. And that, okay, so you just hit on two things that are super important too. And one is that nature sensory input. Like yep. sit in your nar- your sit in your nard, sit in your yard and listen to the birds. Let yourself get some of those inputs that are so the work is super hard and traumatic, but some of these pieces of it are actually helping you cope. Being outside in nature, it's helping you cope. The physical exercise, it's helping you cope. The camaraderie with your team, all these things are helping you carry the load. And then all of a sudden you go home and you don't have any of that coping and that, that does not work. So try to carry some of those coping pieces back into the off season. It sounds like you're putting yourself in a, like what I'm gathering here is like, put yourself in a point of somewhat familiarity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Instead of coming home to a dark apartment, if you live alone or, Mm -hmm. you know, two screaming kids and a wife that's telling you to do yard work. Yep. Take the time to do some stuff that's familiar and Mm -hmm. ramp down. Yeah, exactly. You're letting yourself adjust. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the other thing you just hit on is that idea of, so there's research that shows that marching in unison or anything you do in unison with other people is actually super connecting and helpful. It's some, a big geek about the body keeps the score, Mm -hmm. which is a pretty popular book. And that some of his research is this idea that when we do something like dribble basketballs, sing in a choir, the unison and the connection with other people is super healing. Hmm. So figuring out different ways where you can access that, it's going to be different than it is out on the line. Like you just can't like rally all your neighbors together and march around the block a few times. I mean, try. I would, if you live in my neighborhood, try, because I would enjoy that very much. But if you can go play basketball, go to the batting cages, right? Because that gives you a little bit of the the rhythm and the impact. Anything you can do that that fills that kind of sensory need is going to help you off ramp a little bit better. That's kind of funny too, because like I was completely unaware of that 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 was actually a thing, but I was doing it on my own. Nice. So, yeah, things like CrossFit, mm-hmm. where you just it's the rhythm of barbells and shit slamming and people. Mm-hmm being exhausted and that was very therapeutic for me like looking back at it yeah and then also ironically go into like punk rock shows and concerts mm-hmm. yeah yeah everybody's in same building they're listening to the same music mm-hmm. at the same time yep it's a shared experience and i thought that was very therapeutic granted i was super weird and you know i don't like big crowds so i'd stay at the back mm-hmm. but i'd still observe and do something i enjoyed mm-hmm. yeah so. you, you knew your exit routes but you certainly did <laughs> still actively participating, but I definitely knew where all the exits were and I knew who threats were. <laughs> so yeah. I was at the bank with my husband the other day and I was like, just watching this guy. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, he's sketchy. Just watching him. <laughs> and I was, and he's like, you're just, you're just weird. And I was like, I know, but if he was sketchy, I would have known before anyone else and we would have been out of here. <laughs> <laughs> That's another common thing too, is like, yeah, that whole, and I guess you were, uh, a lot of people have been saying that, that, that hyper vigilance there is mm-hmm. also a, a symptom of, you know, trauma or PTSI. Mm-hmm. It's hyper vigilance is an adaptive way to stay safe Yeah. when you're literally out in the mountains in danger. But then when you come home, it's not adaptive anymore. It's maladaptive and it makes you jumpy. It makes it hard to just do regular rhythms of life. It's not normal to that setting. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it doesn't just turn off. There's not a button. And so some of this transition stuff is kind of helping your body be like, oh, I'm safe now, you know, and we have to actively do that. 
Yeah. Do you think there's a way to train yourself out of that and get a little bit less ramped up in a situation like that? I think so. Yeah. I think, I mean, kind of like we talked about before you train to become vigilant, Mm -hmm. right? They're, they're training the shit out of you to identify all the different ways to stay safe. It's the same thing. We have to apply the same diligence to the off ramp piece of it. Gotcha. So, so now what about triggers? Cause one trigger of mine that's still to this day mm-hmm. scares the shit out of me. And mm-hmm. it like makes the hair literally stand up on the back of my neck is the sound of hinge wood squeaking mm-hmm. like a tree falling over. Okay. Yep. And if I hear anything that is remotely close to that, like, mm-hmm there's a very distinct sound that wood makes when it's bending, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which indicates or when it's about to start. Yeah. When it's about to go over mm-hmm. that triggers me to this mm-hmm. day. What were some like tips to deal and cope with that? Cause I know a lot of people out there have triggers and it could be different. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you just insert any trigger mm-hmm. for any particular individual. It's not a one size fits all. This is just my point of view. Mm-hmm. So how do we cope with those triggers? Yeah. Well, first let's define it. Okay. Right. Cause it's also one of those words that's gotten super overused, right? All the kids Triggers. are like, I'm so triggered by that. Like, yeah. stop it. Grow up. <laughs> but it's a real thing. It's a real biological process that yeah. happens where, so there was a situation or many, many situations where that noise indicated danger, mm-hmm. right? So you hear the noise, your body goes on full alert because you need to run, right? A tree's going to fall on you is essentially what your body's, um, interpreting that noise as that same noise is going to bring about the same biological response and that is your body operating properly so this is the tricky thing about triggers is again it goes back to that idea we feel like we're fucked up and it's like no your body's actually being protective that noise equals danger your body has kind of decided this noise equals danger and it's responding yeah you're reacting to a stimulus Mm -hmm. yeah it's totally normal and it's so triggers can be um Sounds are huge. Smells are huge. Oh, yeah. Two uh, stroke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, That's a, that elicits a different response out of me. That's like an excitement response, not a mm-hmm. fear response. Which those two are kind of two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Right. This, this It's an activation. Right? Yeah. You're, you're like, your system is ready. Let's go. And fear is the same. It's just more, there's more danger. Hmm. So, hmm. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So triggers are basically your body saying, Oh shit, something's going to happen. You, you can learn to deal with them because essentially I want you to think about, um, your body is activating. So you can use deep breaths. You can use some grounding exercises and mindfulness to just bring your body back down. But it, it is unfortunately a part of your story that you will carry doing the work means we carry pieces of the story. Yeah. Forward. Everybody's got baggage. Mm-hmm. I mean, some more than others. And like you said, it's not a one size fits all scenario, but mm-hmm. it's just shit that we got to address and that's the thing is like we're going to be more productive in our line of work mm-hmm. if we can identify and be more aware of these issues that exactly you know trigger the individual i guess you could say or mm-hmm. uh, there's that word again trigger but the things that we need to cope with and mm-hmm. heal from i think that's like one of the big takeaways from this whole discussion mm-hmm. it's part of your story and it's not shameful that there are things that are going to trigger you it's part of your story yeah. it's part of what like you are more likely than me to have a chainsaw scar, right? That's part of your story. I am more likely than you to have a whole bunch of really sad stories in my head because that's part of my work. It's just part of who we are and we have, there's an impact from it. Yeah. I mean, we all have to carry our burden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. just one of those things. But the the normalization and saying, recognizing the fact that this is, this is normal, this mm-hmm. is okay, this is 
part of not necessarily part of the gig, but part of being a human. Exactly. Period. Yeah. That, that shame and confusion and silence is, that's the part that keeps us, keeps us suffering. I think. I think that's the part that fucks us up. Mm Mm-hmm. Hands yeah. down. Mm-hmm. So we don't talk about this. And I'm so, I'm so happy that there's been such an, like a ramp up in people being willing to talk about this. Mm-hmm. And Hey, this is my perspective. This is oftentimes a shared perspective by a lot of our community mm-hmm. and then having it backed up and pretty much valid and well, not necessarily validated, but you know, I guess you could say validated by the yeah. clinician side of things. Mm-hmm. This is normal. Let's fucking act like it. This is humanity. You are, you are doing a good job. You feel like a wreck, but that means you're doing a good job. It means you have emotions, you have experiences like that. The people I get really worried about are the ones who are like, no, I don't feel anything. I'm like, oh, oh, so what flavor are we? Are we a sociopath? (laughs) (laughs) We're going to work on this for a while. Yeah. Okay. Well, that brings up a good point though. It's like, what happens? What are the, like, we, this is another loaded question, but the consequences of not addressing these things, like what happens? What are like the severe outcomes? We obviously know that the S word is going to be one of those outcomes. It could be one of those outcomes. S word, suicide. Yes. Mm -hmm. And let's just take a second and normalize suicide too. Suicide comes with so much stigma in and of itself. Mm -hmm. My stance on it is suicide is an option for all of us. Like it's always, it's an option. The concern is when does it start becoming one of the bigger options, right? If it's way down on your list, it's option number, you know, 742. That's, that's great. But when it's option number three, and then you have a really hard season and then all of a sudden it's option number two, and then you're, you're in so much pain and life is so dark that it becomes option number one. That, that is also a human experience. It's not good. It's not what we want. But I think when we're like, what the fuck is wrong with them? How did they do that? It almost just minimizes everyone else who has it at an option three. Yeah. You know? And that's the thing too, is like, we have a real fucking problem with suicide in the wild Mm -hmm. man community. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we, we don't have any data on it, any hard data. It's secret. Yeah. Which is disturbing, Mm -hmm. but it's not like you can research it because we also have, suicides that happen during the fire season. And then we have your unaccounted for ones that have Mm -hmm. happened off season. Yeah. And that's the thing that I think that we need to really address is that it doesn't have to be option one. Yeah. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. And it's okay if you're like, Oh my gosh, it's become option seven. Like, well, let's talk about that. Yeah. You know, let's try and, get that back down to option 738 Mm -hmm. or whatever it was. So yeah, let's build up the other options. And it's like, I've had, I've had nights and mornings where I'm like, I just don't want to do it. Like you're not going to come in and I'm going to look at you like, Oh no, you're one of those. It's like, okay, life is really rough right now. Let's figure out how to make it a little better. Yeah. And I think that taking the stigma away from suicide is part of how we start to help with the problem. It's an uncomfortable topic and it's, but it needs to be talked about because mm-hmm. it is the elephant in our room. I mean, mm-hmm. like one of my good friends, Nelda, she was, she was saying that we have a lot of suicides that are uh, classified as accidents as well. You know, mm-hmm. oh, they, oh yeah, they fell asleep at the wheel and veered off the road or mm-hmm. X, Y, or Z happened. And I know personally coming from my own point of view, I've thought about it. Mm-hmm. I know I have. Yeah. It's bumped up the list. Like it, it happens. Yeah. And it's not broken. It's human. Yeah. But the idea behind that is to 
not make it your only option. Mm -hmm. And that's where someone like you would come in or the crisis hotline Mm -hmm. or shit, even talking to friends. I mean, talking to anybody, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a hard conversation to have, Mm -hmm. but as long as we can get these folks that are at that point of, you know, this is making more and more sense to me, Mm -hmm. pointed in the right directions to heal and fix those underlying issues that are causing that Mm -hmm. thought process behind being number one. Yep. Is way out. Um, Getting the point in the right direction is the ultimate goal there. Mm -hmm. And it's a hard conversation to have. It's a super hard conversation. And, you know, going back to your question, which is like, what are some of the outcomes if it's unaddressed? I feel like there's a, this, the snowball that happens. And if we can talk about it after the first season, right, you're coming off of your very first season. You're like, Whoa, that was awesome. Yeah. And a little weird. And you, you can either, I mean, honestly, I would love if we were talking a little bit about like after action reports, even within your crew doing like, okay, let's list really quick. Some of the stuff that was, that was bad. Yeah. And let's just normalize. I was afraid. I was sad. And if even just doing that, for the new kids is, is huge, right? Normalizing that this was hard. This sucked. I kind of want to go home. I kind of don't. That in and of itself will start to, to help with the compounding, whatever shit show. The compounding shit show. Yeah. There's another, that was, <laughs> that's, that's, that's like a very $4. scientific, yeah, scientific com- word there. I am a very scientific person. Yeah. But no, you have a point there. I mean, that's the thing is like, like you're saying, normalize it mm-hmm. and fucking talk about it. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's bullshit if you think that you're going to be the type of leadership that's mm-hmm. going to just like say, oh, it's not my fucking problem. Mm-hmm. Figure it out. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I will say it. If you're that kind of leader, fuck you with a capital F. Yeah. You, you're causing harm. And I think sometimes leaders are causing harm when they think they're protecting. There's also that caveat too. Mm-hmm. Like that, and whether it's self-protective, right? I don't want to, I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to say that I was afraid, all this stuff that causes harm. But also I think there's this like, no, we got to be tough. We can't freak out up there. So everyone tough it up. And that's protective in a way. Yeah. In the moment, right. Cause you've got to survive the situation, but you've also got to learn how to come back down off of that. And that second piece just doesn't happen. Not too often. I mean, sometimes it does. And the, the whole SISM program, like we we're talking about uh, critical incident stress management or debriefings, mm-hmm. um, they're getting better, but mm-hmm. you know, I've seen the good and the bad out of those, Yep, but they are getting better. So don't take those things for granted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a chance to hear that other people struggled and they're tricky when there's, it can get tricky when there's leadership in the room. It can get tricky if it feels punitive. You know, it feels like an investigation, mm-hmm. but that's not the point of it though. That's, that's the whole thing. And we were talking about this too. And it's like, yeah, it's easy to see that now mm-hmm. coming from a much more mature standpoint. Um, well, maybe not much more, but somewhat more <laughs> mature standpoint <laughs> outside looking in, but you know, it's, it's not mes- meant to be punitive. And also it, you have a very, very limited field of vision when you're in a yes. real shitty situation mm-hmm. or a real tight situation. You can only see what's pretty much right in front mm-hmm. of you. So now if you can have the opportunity to be expand your awareness outside of what you saw, you can start to piece together what actually happened. Mm-hmm. And that can be huge for some of the the guilt, right? Or yeah. the like, what if I had done this differently, right? We're talking about some of the the hard situations. Like we can spin ourselves in circles. Mm-hmm. about what if we had made this decision or that decision. And sometimes it doesn't matter what you did. 
like shit happens. Oh yeah. And a, a schism can help kind of dispel a little bit of that guilt when they're done right. When they're done right. Yeah. Yeah. They could also, I mean, I know a lot of the schism teams now are bringing some more tools like uh, clinicians mm -hmm. to the schism thing, mm -hmm. uh, the whole schism debrief. And they're also giving like more tools to point people in the right directions for when they do go back to their home unit. Yep. If it happens on district, usually they bring in their own. But if you're off district or mm -hmm. in a different force or different area of the United States, they'll give you the tools. Good. Good. So, I'm glad to hear that. And yeah. there's, you know, like we were talking about my dog, right? Like part of why it's important for me to have a dog is sometimes you don't need me. You need my dog. I'm just a little floofy. Yeah. <laughs> Send the dog in. And that's what, you know, we were up doing some visits at dispatch and stuff because when rough calls come in, sometimes you don't necessarily even have words or want to talk about it. Yeah. That's why we got dogs. Mine's named Chuck. He'll come visit. No. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Therapy dogs are awesome though. Mm -hmm. That's another underutilized thing too. It's, mm -hmm. That's what I want to do with my dog. One of them at least. One's not quite there on the maturity. <laughs> yeah. At Benelli. But Kimber, uh, I wouldn't mind making her or like getting her into the, you know, therapy mm -hmm. dog kind of thing and just visiting fire camps. Like, here, pet the dog. Yeah. <laughs> pet I the mean, puppy. And it's legit helpful. It goes back to that, you know, we're talking about kind of getting your hormones and your stress system all even back out. Dogs work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or uh, whatever your flavor of, you know, fuzzy animal. I mean, cats. Yeah. I yeah. saw a therapy horse in an Apple store once. It was real weird. That is an aggressive... It was therapy a, animal. It was a mini one, but we, you know you're waiting. Oh, it was a mini one. You're waiting at the Genius Bar, and everyone you see, the everyone stops, and it's because this lady just walked in with a horse. I was like, "This is the Apple Store. I don't. Do we do that here? Yeah. Hey, at least they're taking the tools that they need to yeah. cope with their thing. Yeah. I mean, granted, I know a lot of people that use that as like a, mm -hmm. a bullshit excuse to bring, I don't know, a, a boa constrictor onto an airplane. I, I don't know, but yeah, I've had people ask me to write letters. I'm like, no. Because no. it's a real thing when someone needs it and you know. No, you're just kind of, you know, devaluing the mm -hmm. the purpose behind that in the first place. But yeah, what can you do? But yeah, um, no, I just want I just want to say that like the front end and the back end loading to this whole discussion mm -hmm. is absolutely critical. And for the folks out there listening, just stop being a fucking hard ass. <laughs> yeah. It's okay to talk about this stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, shit, I... I don't have any problem talking to anybody on online. I know a few of you uh, folks have hit me up and shared some stories and well, I guess I, you know, might've helped some of you or may not have, but yeah, yeah, folks uh, are definitely out there to help just like Shannon here. Yeah. And, Saying uh, something is one of the hardest and best, like just put some air oh, yeah. into it, you know? Oh yeah. That was, that was like another thing too, is like everybody that I've talked to that had to, that have dealt with some sort of mental health issue or some sort of problem or even some PTSI or PTSD, mm -hmm. the moment that they felt relief is admitting that they needed help. Mm -hmm. That was like the big, it was like having a, a, a pallet of bricks lifted off your chest. Yep. Yeah. There's research that shows that people begin to feel better as soon as they book a therapy appointment. They haven't even shown up. They don't even know. But the fact that they raised their hand and said, I'm going to do this for myself begins the process of feeling better. See, there we go. Sometimes just knowing that you have a problem is even therapeutic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Now, if we can admit to these problems, 
Because I know a lot of folks out there might have some. Yeah. Not a not an accusatory statement or anything like that, but we just we deal with shit. That's yeah. what we do. We, well, and let's go back because you asked the question about what happens if you don't take care of it. Yes. Suicide is obviously an outcome. Addiction is obviously an outcome. Yes. Divorce is obviously an outcome. But let's like bump forward okay. on those because those are, you know, if we're getting way down the line, if you are coming back and you just don't know how to talk to the people around you. Right. Yeah. That's a signal that like it's life is hard. It's OK. Go have somebody help you with that. If you and your spouse are getting a little bit more distant, if we're having affairs. Right. If there's something where it's just not working, you're not connecting, you're not enjoying time together. If you come home and in the off season, you can't figure out how to have fun. We we're talking before recording about like. COVID has made us lose our ability to have fun. Mm -hmm. And it's, that's one of those symptoms where if you just don't know what to do for fun anymore, especially if the only things that are fun are those super high intensity things, right? You can't skydive every day. I wish you could. That'd be freaking awesome. I mean, I guess you could become an instructor, but then you got to strap people to you. So I don't know. Right. <laughs> like if the only thing that brings you any sense of joy is super high intensity. Yeah. That's a signal. Like maybe, maybe this isn't working. Chasing that high again. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can't do like, I don't, if you struggle to go to like concerts and stuff like that, that's totally fine. But if you're struggling to go to like family events or any, like restaurants, places where being near crowds has that vigilant side of you, just unable to relax, mm -hmm. go talk to someone. You don't want to live life unable to go to parties or restaurants, right? Yeah. You're getting like to the form of dysfunction in society there. Mm -hmm. yeah. Start to get super isolated. If you're playing the video games constantly and you feel like you can't stop. So those are some of the things to look for. You know, speaking, bringing it all the way back to the beginning, we were talking about COVID and the forgetfulness thing. Mm -hmm. I've also noticed that with particular traumas, we have memory lapses. Mm -hmm. What is up with that? Well, some of it's protective, mm -hmm. right? Your body's like, nope, reject that one, right? Yeah. And that's a part of like if you do EMDR or something like that, it's helping you kind of put your memories back in order, which helps us deal with them. Um, it's, but it's a coping and it's a stress outcome, right? The forgetfulness is like, like, like there's a couple of events that I've had in my fire career. I've told you a couple of them mm -hmm. and, uh, I, I can remember like very specifics, but like some, some of the like weird specifics, mm -hmm. like what the fucking weather was that day, but mm -hmm. like the general overall thing, a lot of people can like tell you what, oh yeah, this is what happened. We went through this and it gave you a progressional kind of outcome of mm -hmm. like what the day was like. But some of those things, some of those fires or some of those like traumatic fires that I've been on and I've experienced bits and pieces, mm -hmm. otherwise fucking nothing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes entire portions of my fire career are like that. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's like a common thing with the forgetfulness, but I don't know if anybody else has experienced that, but mm -hmm. I've noticed it just now after Mike West was on the show and said something about that mm -hmm. yeah. forgetfulness thing. What I is heard. with that? I, I think it's just so, you know, if you're forgetting an entire season, some of that is probably just exhaustion and stress and mm -hmm. like some like I have a horrible memory. Right. Sometimes I can't even remember like, what oh, I ate for fucking breakfast. Remember when we did this in third grade? I'm like, I don't remember third grade. Like yeah. and it's not because anything was particularly wrong. It's because I just don't remember. So some of it's that. Yeah. And when you're talking about sleep deprivation, MREs, right? Like you're just, your body is already highly stressed. So you may just not be putting all the files in, right? But then the trauma piece of it is, like you said, your field of vision narrows. Yeah. So you may not be picking up all the details and it's a protective way our bodies are like, no, we're not going to, we're not going to remember every single piece of this. 
as far as how common it is, I, I don't have any data for you because it is another one of those things that people don't talk about. Right. Um, and I was just going to say something else, but I forgot. Weird. Whoa, whoa. (laughs) Uh oh. I can't remember. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Going back to triggers. Yes. Um, this is what's tricky is our bodies sometimes remember. So you may not remember. But you have a physical memory of it. Mm-hmm. And so there's the smell or there's a taste or there's whatever it is. And you've got this like, and this is where people start thinking they're crazy, right? You've got this flood of response and you're like, I don't even know what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Our bodies remember, right? And so that's real. If it's happening, it's real. It's okay. You're not broken. Let's work it out. That's another thing too, is uh, a lot of people, uh, well, they, a lot of people have mentioned like auditory hallucinations, like they'll smell something and then they'll hear like a chainsaw, like look around or something Interesting. like that. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if that's, I don't know. The brain is a very complex organ. Mm-hmm. It does what it wants. It like really literally, does. Yeah. Literally does what you want, what yeah. it wants. <laughs> Portions of it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, no, I, I, it, like I said, it's, I keep reiterating this point, but I'm going to say it again and again and again until it gets you through your thick skulled cave man and cave woman brains that we need to have this in this discussion and normalize it. Mm-hmm. It's mental health awareness month. It's May. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is normal. It's normal. Yeah. And let me just run through the, these other things really quick because yeah. I want to make sure you people think. have tools. So you're coming off of the season. You're trying to slow to 40. We talked about biological and hormonal. We talked about nature a bit, but I need you to get outside. Like do not sit in your stanky couch and play the video games because you're literally losing some of the fresh air or sunshine. That's, that's key. Um, one of the big things you lose is that battle camaraderie. Right. Mm-hmm. So as much as you can stay connected, do that. Cause there's going to be, and I'll just name that. Like you're going to come off the season and you, you know, come home and talk to your spouse and it's just not going to feel as close and connected as this bus full of stinky people that you just came home from. And some of that is real. It Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that your marriage is over. It's just that you're coming off of this battle camaraderie and you're kind of, you need to ramp up your connection with your spouse. Um, but don't just go cold Turkey on talking to the people that you've just been through this whole ordeal with. Um, also know that you're going to lose. We've talked about this a little bit already, that focused mission. Like if you can plan ahead of time on some mission that you will accomplish when you come back, even if it is the junipers in your backyard, giving yourself that purpose in whatever way you can is super important to the off ramp. Gotcha. It's funny that you say that too. Um, the, the battle camaraderie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's real. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's nothing like suffering with, you know, your, your friends out there. Something, I I think it kind of becomes a little bit of addictive thing, but that suffer culture, you know, Mm -hmm. but, uh, there's definitely something to be said about the types of bonds that you create, um, with each other when you're embracing the suck, when you guys are in the shit. Mm -hmm. It's hard to replicate that. And it'll be hard for that to be in your marriage and just acknowledge that that like, Yes, that same level of connection and intimacy can be there. But if you haven't like been through some really harrowing situations, it might be a little different and that's okay. Oh yeah. It doesn't mean your marriage is bad. It's just different. Oh yeah. There's another thing too, is like, uh, that open communication between your significant other and you needs to be there. You need to figure out effective forms of communication to like 
yeah. talk about shit. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I, this is just what I'm feeling today. Mm-hmm. And we don't know how to do that. If you don't know how to do that, okay. Like, we don't, we're not always taught how to talk about these things. And so if you need help learning how to talk about it, okay, that's fine. Come talk to me. <laughs> that's like, what you're here for. Yeah, <laughs> Literally. I, like, I do this. And every couple's different, right? The, the non-guardian spouse doesn't always want to hear the details. Yeah. So I'll work with clients and like, here's how you share like what it was like without sharing the details, right? We don't need to describe why you needed the kitty litter, right? Like, but you can describe how you feel now. Yeah. And that's a, that's a skill that you have to learn. And if you don't know, it's okay. No, it takes work. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then going back to the, don't cut off cold Turkey as well with the, uh, the suffer the camaraderie there, the, uh, battle camaraderie take the time to in the off season be like, Hey, so-and-so mm-hmm. this part was fucked up mm-hmm. and this is why mm-hmm. let's see what the conversation comes out of that. And you're like, talk about shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Communication seems like a pretty important component of this. <laughs> Potentially. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. <laughs> pretty much key. <laughs> oh man. So what else do we got? That's, that's pretty much what I have. Just, I always want to make sure that I give practical tools. So make your plan ahead of time. Know that you're going to need to bring yourself down slowly. And as much as you can prepare before you're just in the, in the hole. Yeah. And that's before your season starts and then before your season ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the ramp downs mm-hmm. or ramp up and ramp down, yeah. preparing that, have a plan. And Minda has also said this too, she's said it. Every every therapist that or mm-hmm. clinician that I've talked to is like, have a fucking plan. Mm-hmm. Period. It's like it's like going to the grocery store without a list, right? Yeah. You go to the grocery store without a list. And you're hungry. And you're hungry, you're gonna buy some cookies. Like it's gonna happen. And if you go in with a list, you might still get cookies, but at least you'll get stuff for dinner, right? Same thing. Make a list. I'm not allowed in Costco anymore mm-hmm. without my wife. With I, I need to be supervised in Costco. So I'll walk in there with, you know no plan, no purpose, walk out with a TV, two handles of whiskey and a case of oatmeal. Yeah. My husband and son went unsupervised and I came home to a freezer so full of waffles. I couldn't put anything in. (laughs) I was like, how many damn egos did you guys buy? Yes. It was a lot. It was, yes. It was a lot of waffles. Yeah. (laughs) Well, shit. Um, yeah. Well, Shannon, thank you for being on the show and, uh, yeah. Where can we find you? Um, so my company is called Stack of Stones, right? Karen in the forest, find your direction. There we go. So my website is stackofstones with an S dot com. Okay. Yeah. Find me. My phone number's on there. Reach out. If you're having a hard time, reach out. I can, as a clinician, I can see anyone in Nevada using telehealth. Um, if you're in like Susanville or Tahoe and you can drive into Nevada, I can see you. Um, I can also do some coaching stuff, which will be a little bit different than the clinical work, but I can do coaching stuff from anywhere. Sweet. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Then at the end of the show, I always like to give the opportunity for you to give a shout out to a homie, a hero, a mentor. Could be multiple, could be a few. Mm. Take it away. I knew you were going to ask this question. <laughs> and I thought about it and I still am set on my original answer, which I, which I think is my parents. Like my dad faithfully served as a first responder my mom faithfully served as a first responder's wife. And I think that that's the kind of thing I didn't even understand. Like he'd be gone flying air attack months and she was home with us. Like I had no problem with it then, but now that I have kids, I'm like, (laughs) right. Single parenting for months. And so I think them 
doing the work, serving their community, still married. Um, That's a feat in itself right there. I know. I think they just hit 46 years. I just, my 20 year anniversary was yesterday. Congratulations. Congratulations to you folks as well. Yeah. Long, long time married. And they taught us how to get our asses outside, have a good time. Like we laugh a lot as a family. And I just really appreciate that they did the work, held it together and built that foundation for us. Nice. Well, shout out to your folks. Yeah. Yeah. Love you guys. Single parent. That's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it is. It's, yeah. That's mm-hmm. rough. And I, I mean, I was a kid and she did a great job. So I was like, la, la, la. But now I'm like, oh my gosh. Months. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Oh, rough. But the communication kept it together. So mm-hmm. it is possible. It might yeah. be difficult, but it is possible to keep that together. Yep. So. Well, Shan, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can get you back on here again. Sounds great. I'm around. All right, guys. Take care. See ya. And boom, ladies and gentlemen, there we go. Another epic show with my good friend, Shannon Mead. Shannon, thank you so much for being on the show and uh, sharing your expertise and knowledge uh, in the realm of mental health and culturally competent clinicians. Uh, It's definitely a good topic to be discussed, and I definitely appreciate it. We're going to have a long season and uh, even a longer winter. I know those winters are pretty damn hard for a lot of folks out there. And uh, the data that we're discussing uh, off record there definitely shows that so shannon thank you once again for being on the show and if you guys want to get a hold of shannon and uh pick her brain or maybe go visit her uh go to www.stackofstones.com and check out her practice she's pretty legit she's awesome and uh yeah we got to develop a bigger wider network for uh these culturally competent clinicians to uh give us some help that we need when we need it That being said, Shannon, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, To the rest of you, stay safe, stay savage this fire season. And uh, yeah, keep your head on a swivel and keep the conversation going about uh, mental health. It's definitely the elephant in the room and we need to be more open about it. I think it takes more courage and more bravery to actually be open about these topics than to be closed off. Special shout out to our sponsors. We got Mystery Ranch, purveyors of the finest damn packs on this planet. So if you have any load-bearing essentials or need any load-bearing essentials, go over to www.mysteryranch.com. And while you're at it, check out the Backbone Series and Backbone Scholarship. We've got Hasha Brewery, purveyors of the finest damn coffee, and the most kick-ass coffee for the most kick-ass causes here on the West Coast. We also have our good buddy, Booze, over at The Ass Movement. If you got a problem pooper on your crew? Well, go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out The Ass Movement and spread that poo bearing propaganda. And last but not least, we have The Smoky Generation. Pretty epic. I think that one goes without saying. So, Bethany, you have a kick-ass organization over there, and if you guys want to find out more, go over to www.wildfireexperience.org. I don't know why I'm whispering, but www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out. For the rest of you, stay safe, stay savage. Peace out. Peace out.